Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. It's a return engagement for the classy, sexy, accomplished singer Vivian Sessoms, who was part of year one back in 2013 of Conversations with Creative Women. She's been plenty busy ever since, releasing albums, going on tour, and forming a new partnership with producer and multi-instrumentalist Chris Parks. Together, they've released Sunny One Day and Life. In addition to their work, Vivian and Chris have written songs for other artists and formed the group Albright. They record at their super-duper sound studio in Brooklyn. Vivian certainly has the singing props. She's the niece of jazz legend Nancy Wilson. Vivian's mom, Charmaine Sessoms, was a jingle and session singer in the late 60s and 70s. And her dad, Lemuel Smith, was a flautist and percussionist for James Brown. Back in the day, Vivian sang backup for the likes of Shaka Khan, Dionne Warwick, Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, Pink, Patty Austin, to name just a few. She's been on stage at Carnegie Hall, Radio City, Madison Square Garden, the Apollo, I Gotta Stop, I Gotta Stop. Let's get this conversation going. (laughs) Vivian, welcome. Sandy, hi, how are you? Thanks for having me back. Oh, it is so my pleasure. I'm going to (laughs) start this way. Okay. What's new? Oh, my God. Well, what's new? I signed with Rope-A-Dope label, the mm-hmm. label Rope-A-Dope, about four months ago. Mm-hmm. I have a new manager. I just signed with a new booking agent. So there's a lot new. How come? Well, I had been working on this record, which I actually talked about the last time I was here. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of determined not to release it unless I had signed a, a label or a manager or something. But it wasn't really happening. And so I was sort of making moves to begin to put it out myself uh-huh. last year. And, Can you um, refresh everyone's memory and say what the name of the album is? The name of the album is Life. Mm-hmm. I had so much music that I recorded for it. I recorded four, five, 45 songs. So wow. I, yeah, so I actually made it a double album. So it's called Life 1 and Life 2. Mm-hmm. I just was really proud of this music, and I really wanted help with getting the word out. But when it didn't seem like it was forthcoming, I started to just sort of look around for ways to put it out myself, but more creative ways, because it's really a lot of work to put a record out yourself. And, and to make sure that it sticks. Out and make sure it put sticks it out, out yeah. and that it's you know well promoted and yeah. all those things. And I have an amazing publicist, Katrina Boswell of Catwalk Music, who really does a, a stand-up job. But um, I just wanted more help, so I was you know talking to different friends who have re- released albums on their own, and they were telling me things to do. And one friend recommended that I, you know, try to procure a release with Billboard magazine, like an exclusive release for my video with Billboard or with Rolling Stone or something like that. And I have friends at both of those places. So I contacted people and was like, hey, I'm about to release this album. One of my friends who works at Billboard was like, listen, you know, I love you. We've been friends for a long time. Let me hear your record, you know. Let me let me just take a listen. And I was like, I sent him a couple of songs. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, here you go. And I was just thinking that he was going to hook me up with this, you know, video release. And he called me back that night and was like, I really love the record. Oh, wow. I would love to shop it, you know, and see if I can. I got a lot of contacts. You know, I've never, you know, I've never done this before, but I'd like to give it a shot. And so I said, okay. And in the interim, I was meeting with a lot of other managers and booking agents and things. And you So know, it was kind of a, a, a seminal moment in your life. You were making changes. I was making changes, and I was looking to make changes. Then you, you know knew it I mean? was time to switch gears. I knew it was time gears, to of? switch gears, and I, I felt I had something really special with this record, and I wanted it to really see the light of day. And mm-hmm. I know that there are a lot of people self-releasing music, which I think is a great thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very important thing that record companies have 
have less to do with artists making music. That's a good thing. But also you can really get lost in the shuffle because yes. there are a lot of people releasing music. In any case, my friend, you know, was, you know, doing his thing, playing it for people here and there, you know, shopping it around. And I was having meetings and not really coming up with, you know, anything that I thought was good or positive. That you could sink your teeth into. Right. And, but, um, and I was sort of getting a little weary, but I was just like, okay, well, I'm just going to go for it myself. And then my friend called and was like, listen, I got two people, two labels who want to have meetings, want to talk to you at least. And these are the two. And rope was like at the top of my list. It was a, it's a, a label I really respect. There are a lot of artists on there who I really love and are doing very well. So, you know, we had a call with them and they seemed really interested and really responsive. And so one thing led to another. And my friend said, you know, if if something happens with one of these, I'd love to have a crack at managing you. So it was kind of like oh, wow. two birds with one Yeah, stone. no kidding. And so we kind of, you know, started working together and it's been going stupendously well. And um, so I'm feeling really, really lucky. Describe life and how is it different, if in fact it is, from some of your other albums. Well, actually, Chris and I have released two albums. The first one is Vivid, mm-hmm. and that's a rock record that we released. That was our first project. And our second project is Sunny One Day. So this is actually going to be our third project. And the thing that's different about this, my first project was a rock record. My second project was a soul record. This is a jazz record. It's a very soulful jazz record. It's got some soul on it, but uh-huh. it is a jazz record. And so it's got a lot of themes interwoven throughout of it. Is it very personal? It's very, very personal. And I think that it's a statement about, it's about my personal life, but it's also a personal statement about black life in huh. America at this time uh-huh. and what we're dealing with yeah, and what gee. we're going through. It's about love and uh-huh. it's about joy and, and it's about spirituality, but it's also, you know, it's a political record about Im- immigrants mm-hmm. and, you know, what's happening in Africa and other countries to, you know, indigenous people of those per- of those places and government and how government is failing. And those kinds of things. Right. And it's it's a lot. It's a lot of ground to cover, even in two albums. But it's also a jazz record in that I've taken some of my most favorite records over the years, not just standards, but some contemporary songs. I've got songs by Stevie Wonder. I've got songs by The Fix. I've got all these different hodgepodge of different kinds of artists thrown together on this album. And some of the jazz songs or more classic standards are done in a very contemporary way. And some of these more um, contemporary songs are done, I would say, in a kind of a classic jazz way. Um, so I've really kind of done something a little bit unique there. I'm not completely unique. Lots of people take jazz songs and reharm them and rework them. Yeah, and but for you. Them. But yeah, for me, it's different because some of these songs are going to be done in ways that people won't expect. Um and then there are some originals. Uh-huh. There are several originals. I've got a song on there called I Can't Breathe, which is dedicated to Eric Garner's daughter, Erica uh, Garner. And when I saw what happened with Eric Garner, I was so hurt by it. He I, was in really, a he was in a chokehold in a police chokehold for allegedly s- selling cigarettes. cigarettes. Yeah. And the chokehold, and he was yelling to yeah. the officer, I can't breathe. Yeah. And he subsequently died. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we've seen just a barrage of just violence directed at black people. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know, I often say, like, I don't know if it's that we're seeing more or that we're just able to film it and t- and have a platform yeah. within which to show it, you know. 
But that is something that really has stayed with me watching that. And I think with with millions of other people. And I don't know, I just started jotting down some things one night and then decided that I would write something about it, like complete something about it. And it was difficult and it took a long time. But when I really in earnest started to figure out what my focus was on this record, I knew it was something I wanted to have on the record. I also cover Strange Fruit. It's a song that was written in the 30s about lynching. Lynching. Mm -hmm. And um, I recorded it. I never, it was not a song I, I ever loved. I think I said this before in your last show, but it was a song that made me feel very sad. And I know it was a popular song, and I know it's, you know, one of those songs that just will live forever, I believe. But I just never sang it because it was a painful song. Yes. And then I got invited to perform at a Jazz Vesper concert in Brooklyn, um, and they asked me to put together a program featuring black people and women because it was the end of Black History Month and going into Women's History Month. And so I gathered up all these songs that I think encompassed both really well, black women, composers, writers, artists. And Strange Fruit was one of the songs that I did. And it was just something that was so spiritually moving to me to perform that song in this church where the the acoustics and the band, all of it was just something that conspired to make me feel like I really have to I have to do something with this song mm -hmm. one day. And so I decided to record it as well. And I didn't realize that I would be recording it for this record, but I just put it in the back of my mind as one day I've got it. It's a powerful song. Mm -hmm. And so when I started working again on this record, I had been working on the record for a long time, but it just really took a turn at that time because of what was happening. It was just so violent to me, and it was just a way to speak out about it. And so, um, and I've got other songs that are kind of in that vein too. I cover Stevie Wonder as and I cover the fix One Thing Leads to Another which was a very popular song in the 80s on MTV but I've sort of made it more a political song because I just feel that we're being failed by our government and I just and I don't only feel that way about here in America I feel it in many places that people are being failed and particularly people of color and it, you know it's a realization that really hit me several years ago that black people everywhere just really have a hard time with being looked after in ways that we see our counterparts looked after with programs, with all kinds of things to help them. And it's devastating to really put that together in your mind when you become aware that, you know, when you're old enough and you're traveled enough to see these things going on, it's it's painful. And so I just wanted to to write and sing about these things. And I know that we all know what's happening, but I think that sometimes we just, you know, need a little bit of a, of a reminder maybe that we can do something about them. Well, also, music can, and no pun intended here, can resonate in a different way. I think so. That yeah. and some other actions can. Yes. You know, and that's... That's your métier. That's your means yeah. of relating, of explaining, of sharing. Yeah. So obviously, being political professionally was natural as well as you had to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe mm -hmm. it was bigger than you. Well, I've always been political in my music, and mm -hmm. I've always been writing about police violence, but I've always been writing from the perspective. And, and, and my records before deal a lot with these things also. Uh-huh. But how wonderful that some things never change. <laughs> but I think that it's different now. in the last five years. It feels different. And I've always been upset about these things and hurt and angry. But in the last five or six years, 
I've traveled a lot more on my, well, not just on my own with other artists, but on my own. And I've had time to, you know, when I've been traveling on my own, I've, I don't, you know, I don't travel every day for work. I take time and I, you know, I take time to stop in places and, and, and walk and see and stay places and visit places and talk to people. And, and I can do that when I'm traveling on my own. And it's been eye-opening, and it's been an education, and it's really made some things very crystal clear for me. But I also come from a family of activists. My grandmother was, was you know, alive in the 60s. My mother was alive in the 60s. My dad was alive in the 60s. And they were all talking about these things to me. But they were all talking about what's happening in America with black people, and they weren't and they weren't so traveled, but they were educated and mm-hmm. they talked about these things with their peers and their friends and they marched and they protested and they were parts of programs to help, you know, in black neighborhoods. And, you know, and my grandmother tutored and she was part of book organizations that gave out books to kids in black neighborhoods and helped with school lunches. and So activism and, is a natural act for you. It is, but it was something that I never thought that I would be interested in because as a kid, I just didn't, you know, as a kid, I thought, why do, why do they always have to be doing these things? And right, why right, do they, right. You know, and wanting to be like other kids is funny. I was talking to my uncle, my mother's brother, last week. He um, he he sponsored some events for Harlem Week, some free events for Harlem Week, where he brings music bands to you know to a park in in Harlem and 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 has dinners and everything for three days and over Harlem Week, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And you know, we talked, and I said to him, I was really proud of him doing this. I said it, it reminded me of of Grandma when she used to give block parties for the kids in our neighborhood. And he was so vocal that he didn't want her to do it, and he was very embarrassed. And I was like, I know, I remember those times when they'd be going out to march or getting ready to go, you know, sign people up to vote and, you know, canvassing. And I was just like, they always have to be, you know, involved in these things and why. And he was like, I know, I was very resentful as a kid, but now I understand. Makes perfect sense, yes. The importance, and I'm happy to do it. And I and I said, and, and Grandma would be so proud of you. And he was like, you think she would? And I was like, I know she would. She'd, she'd be incredible. Well, you're proud. carrying on that mantle, you're you know, on and that it is hereditary yeah. and how fabulous. Mm-hmm. You know, as you're talking about this and you're saying how influenced and impacted you were by your immediate family, politically as well as artistically, mm-hmm. could you talk about influences on you from other artists? Clearly, the biggest mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Being the iconic Aretha Franklin. Yeah, she really was my biggest influence. I'd say my huge influences would be Aretha Franklin, Natalie Cole, Shaka Khan, Patti LaBelle. Mm. I have a number of influences, um, other ones. Barbara Streisand, yep. I love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say they're probably the five that have most influenced me, but I do have others. But Aretha Franklin was just someone that was was always listened to in my house by everyone. You know, my grandmother loved Aretha Franklin. My mother loved Aretha Franklin. And when I was a little girl, I could just remember that this was the music that was playing Mm -hmm. in my childhood. Aretha Franklin, you know, say a little prayer for you, all of these things. And I sort of viewed her as my mom's and my grandmother's music for a long time. And then as a teenager, I kind of rediscovered her and I rediscovered, you know, I kind of got really into um, James Brown, Aretha Franklin, Sly Stone, Jimi Hendrix, The Beatles, Fleetwood Mac, all this stuff I started really, really listening to a lot when I was a teenager. But Aretha Franklin, probably more than anyone, and maybe Sly Stone, just 
something about that music at that time in my life was very shaping, I find. But Aretha Franklin, more than anyone, because I grew up going to church. I didn't sing in church, but I grew up going to church. And um, that's just a story that I think her story is one that sticks out for all of us. So relatable. Up, you yeah, think? growing up mm-hmm. in the church yeah. and then, you know, the singing The power in church, of the church. The power of the church. And um, it was always, you know, my goal, especially in this last 10 years, to make a record in tribute to her. Not necessarily doing all of her songs, a couple, but writing songs in the vein of Aretha Franklin, because I just always thought she was so spectacular. And But now it's something that I'll absolutely do and sooner. But, you know, I was in Harlem on, on the weekend of Harlem Week, which is the weekend that she passed away. And um, it's just really beautiful to see the love and the outpouring, you know, at the Apollo and just all over town and people remembering her. And I found it, yes, just so overwhelming, too. Yeah. I mean, I certainly appreciated her music. She didn't influence me in the same way artistically, because I, yeah. I can't, you know, sing my way out of a paper bag. Mm-hmm. But what made her different? What power did she have? When you just talk about her gift, she was completely unique. And although many of us come from church and, and many people have sung in church, I think at that time, we just hadn't heard anyone like her, her range, her abilities, you know what I mean, her style. Yes, you're giving me goosebumps. Her timbre. It was it was hair-raising, but also just, you know, uh, God, there's just so many things I could say about her. She was beautiful. She was... She was Afrocentric without trying to be. She oh, wow. was never trying to be that, uh-huh. I think. Or maybe she was. Uh-huh. I don't know. But I don't think she was. I think she was just very honest. She was a very honest and this open. This is who I am, right? This is who I am. And she was she was of her time, but she was also very much ahead of her time. But she was very simple in her approach, and it was made her very approachable. She always seemed like she could be your sister, your aunt, your cousin, your your mom, your godmother. Um, she just seemed to put it all out there all the time. So she was empowering for you. She was empowering for me, and she was empowering for many No, women. that I understand. Yeah. But for you, there was a difference, right? Well, I think she was inspiration for being able to unite the gospel and soul in the way that she did. You know, we've had other people do it, but not in that way. And I think she really sort of paved the way for all who came behind her. But, I mean, she just really soared. You know, every time she stepped up to a mic, she took a leap, and she spread her wings, and she soared. And that allowed you to do that, too? It did. It taught me to use my voice in ways that I had not really ever thought of until, well, that's powerful until stuff, I heard her. Vivian, yeah. You know, and that's something that only probably gets even more heightened with her death. And the other beautiful thing about her, and which we are seeing with a lot of artists, and, and I guess it's just because people live longer and you can live longer now if you take care of yourself, but she was that way until the end. You know, we used to think that there's some artists who, okay, well, they don't really sing anymore or they've lost their voice or whatever, but, you know, we see artists... Um, 
staying relevant forever yeah. until their deaths now. But she was one of the first that we saw who was able to do that and, and had hit records in every decade of her career. And I'm not talking about a record that's um, some kind of a, you know, throwaway, you know what I mean, novelty yeah. thing. It right. was like real Commercially music. Commercially kind of, yeah. yeah. real music that you could really, you know, listen to and sink your teeth into. But for me personally, you know, hearing that she passed away was just sort of an ending of an era, you know, and it takes me back to my childhood. And and losing Aretha Franklin, Prince Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, Natalie Cole has just been an all-within yeah. A five-year span has right. been like, it's really like losing your childhood. And it's a bewildering wow. feeling. And I think it feels this way for everyone. I think it must feel this way for you. I feel, I think it feels this way for people who are 20-something. I think it feels this way for people who are 90-something because these artists really touched not just a generation, but just, you well, know. Well, multi-generation. Uh, and, and the world... As a whole. Uh, historically, you know yes. what I mean? Yeah. They they really made their mark more than any other artist I've ever seen. But it's also something of a tremendous loss, not something of it, but a tremendous loss to us culturally. You know, for so long, black people who you could look up to was, you know, singers, athletes. Mm. That, that's who we had. Mm. You know what I mean? Yes. And, and they spoke for us. So to lose them is just... Except you carry on... Their legacy. Well, I hope so. That, I think, is a fact. And that she is such a potent part of your life yeah. and who you are. And that's what's so wonderful about that. I feel awkward talking about it because I feel like, who am I to talk about Aretha Franklin? And and she's touched so many people and so many more people who are famous and, you know, well no, more well-known than I. Why but is your feeling, are your feelings not as valid as <laughs> They are theirs? very valid, and I don't mean to imply that they're not. I'll cut you that slack. <laughs> but the fact is, to listen to someone who's, who is an artist and what, that woman did for you, whether overtly or covertly, it just doesn't matter. You absorbed her in I a different way her. than I have. Yeah. I, I completely absorbed her. And I have spent a lot of years learning about music and a lot of years learning about singers and singing. And, you know, when they say... As you forge your own path? The 10,000-hour rule, I've probably spent more, you know what I mean, listening to singers and observing and absorbing them. And, and Aretha Franklin was definitely a part of my formative years. And I mean, I, I have owned everything she's recorded. I mean, there are things out there that I probably don't have that mm -hmm. are bootlegs or whatever. But when I love an artist, I really go deep that way. Yeah. Um, and so is my husband. He's, a, he's an audiophile and a music file. So we even still to this day listen to Aretha Franklin regularly, Bill Withers, all of these people. You know what I mean? People we love. James sure. Franklin, and why not? Yeah, Natalie Cole. Um but during my very formative years, I spent a lot of time listening to Aretha Franklin. And, and, and I'm not saying that to imply that that makes me an expert, just that she really did influence me. Well, that's big. She really did. And, and, and all of the other singers that I mentioned mm -hmm, as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But she really influenced me. And I had to come back to Aretha on my own, but when I rediscovered her, it was mind-blowing to me because, you know, when I first, you know, knew about her, I was listening to my mom's music and the things that she played, but when I started to really get into her myself and, you know, was old enough to buy cassettes and then CDs or whatever, 
it was eye-opening for me to know the body of work that she had created and how magnificent it was. And maybe in addition to that, it also became very personal. It did. It doesn't matter about anybody else in their relationship with Aretha. It was Vivian and Aretha. Yeah. Well, or, you know, my love for Aretha. Right, right, right. But but what that you two had this connection, you know, a connection for you and obviously impacted you in your career. Mm -hmm. A great um, sadness to me is that I never got to work with her. I've worked with a a lot of amazing artists and I know many people who worked with her, but I always hoped Mm. that I could work with her one day. But still, I have these, you know, fond, fond memories and this great love for her and her music and um and it will forever in my heart and mind be tied to a time in my life when I was a child and listening to that. That's music right. With and my you mom. never have to let that go. No, you know, I that's don't. what's so wonderful. I and don't. I think it's so interesting that your latest album that I'm dating myself with calling it an album. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> is, is, is life. Why did you name it that? I went through a few names before Settling on life. I always intended to name an album life. You know, I'm one of those people that I come up with and it's like, oh, that's a great title. I'll write that down. And I'll, I have a list of titles and a list of song titles and ideas for songs. But as I really kind of honed in on what this record was going to be about, I thought that life was a good title because it talks about my life, but it also talks about life in America. And not just black life, life in America, but it does have a focus on that. And this has become very important to me. And there are a lot of issues in America today and, and you know, we all know what they are. But I feel that what's happening with black people there are some environmental issues I also feel are extremely important. What's happening with our food, what's happening with our health. I think we have more people dying from cancer today than ever before. And I think it's a travesty because I think it doesn't have to happen. I think we have problems with our water, problems with our, you know, with the our environment, with, with yeah, food right. and the way it's being grown and right. the way it's being manufactured and packaged to us. So that's a huge societal ill that I think we all have to combat and conquer and Mm -hmm. hold our government accountable. But I also feel that what is happening with black people in terms of being killed by police, being imprisoned, um, what's happening in our neighborhoods with our water, with, you know, with with what's, you know, what's being funded, what's not what's being taken away with living conditions. I just think that it's one of the most important issues before us. And I think that we are not really going to be able to heal as a country until we deal with these issues. And I think that everyone realizes that black people have an enormous amount of economic power. And I think that we as a culture are starting to really understand that to make change, we have to use that power and we have to use our vote to make changes. But we're being killed. And not only are we being killed, we're all being killed Mm. with school shootings and all kinds of things. And I think many people aren't really putting it together that this is a problem. I mean, I think we are not, that's wrong to say, not that we're not putting together, but I think enough of us aren't putting it together. Or we're being dismissive. That we're being, we're being killed at an alarming rate and it doesn't have to happen. Mm -hmm. There's enough for all of us to live comfortably, peacefully. Well, do you think that life would also be uplifting and inspiring in addition to being potent political. 
Do you think that that's what you were trying to accomplish with life, to inspire us as well as uplift us and also to take action? Yes, absolutely. So I it's that, that it's not all bleak, but that we can, we can make no, change. No, and it's not all bleak. But, you know, it's so funny that you say that because in talking to my manager, my former manager, actually, who became ill while I was working on the record and had to step down, but... Um, at times he would say to me, you know, listen, be careful. Don't don't make this a bleak, sad, painful record. And I said to him, I said, you know, some things I'm I'm really beginning to realize as I get older, the power of the word and how much it influences people and how we need to be writing about positive things to put that into the atmosphere or the, you know, but this is something I have to say. And so I'm going to say it and I want you to be okay with it. You know what I mean? Getting behind me because I think it's important to say when I wrote, you know, um, I Can't Breathe, it's not an it's not an angry song. It's a plea. It's a cry for help. It's a plea to, you know, and I say to people when I perform, when I do shows, I say, you know, if you're here at my show, probably this message is not necessarily for you, but to reinforce what you already know. Because if you're here, you already probably think like I do. Right. Right. And this is not for those who absolutely think opposite as I do, because I'm probably never going to be able to reach them, and many of us won't be able to. But this is for the people who are in the middle, who really see what's happening, but are, you know, still unable to say in their minds, well, there's really a problem with police and, and, and black people, or, you know, I don't see it, or racism doesn't really exist. But I'm not racist. I just don't see, I think that black people are making much of nothing. I, this is for them. And this is, this song, it really is about the aftermath of what happens to families when they lose someone in this violent way. When someone is taken from them, and it is not a song about taking action against it, it's please know that it's true when one person is taken away, the world feels different. It feels that way for any person who has lost someone, however they lose however, someone. However, yeah. Mm-hmm. But when you lose someone senselessly and unnecessarily into violence, you know what I mean? We, you know, aren't always able to see the full scope of a person's life. We know that they've died. We know that people are sad. But what we don't see is what that person was in the community, what they meant to people Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. Eric Garner. We don't know what he meant to his family. We don't know what he meant to his neighbors, to his community. But I do think that he meant something powerful that he was able to impact people's lives because I think he was a good man. I think he was selling cigarettes because it was something that he had to do because he needed to make money. But I think that he was a part of a family who depended on him. Yes, he had a past and he had a present. Exactly. And I think that people sometimes have pasts, and if they're lucky, they can overcome them. And I don't think that we should all be judged by our pasts. Particularly when, you know what I mean, when we're trying to do better. And, I, and and that's another facet of this because a lot of times, you know, we see black men and black women and even, you know, children. But we see these people being killed and what we hear is this past that they've had and how it's awful. And many times it's not true. And sometimes it is true. Well, it doesn't only define in the person. Exactly. I mean, we're all multi-layered and nuanced and we're just not a piece of cardboard. But first of all, I want to make the point that it doesn't doesn't mean that they deserve to die at the hands of police. Yes. Mm -hmm. And second of all, I want to point out that we see people getting killed who are on their way to college. 
They're on the way to start a new job. Mm-hmm. They just got married. They're engaged to be married. They're expecting. They are, you know, they have great jobs. And they're still being killed. We're mm-hmm. still being killed at an alarming rate. You right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then we've got this whole prison, you know, system, this pay-for-play prison. I mean, there are just the levels of which we're being—I feel we're being attacked. I really do. I feel we're being attacked. I don't only feel that it's black people being attacked. I feel that white people are being attacked as well. But I feel that maybe white people don't realize that we're all under attack and that we all have to speak up and demand that our government do better. So life for you, this double album, is almost like your rallying cry on some level as well as your opportunity to expose, educate, and like I said, inspire and influence. Mm -hmm. So we've run out of time, but I think what would make perfect sense is that we end this conversation with, I can't breathe. Hey, Vivian, you're a hell of a broad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, coming from you, that's (laughs) high praise. (laughs) Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. And here is Vivian Sessoms with... I can't breathe. No!
Tell 